Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind top nonprofit galas and signature fundraising events to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I am absolutely delighted to have two great guests on. We have Alexandra Yates, who is the Senior Director of Events for the Houston Ballet, and Richard Flowers, who is owner of the Events Company. And they are the event production team in charge of the 2024 Houston Ballet Ball, which is each year, I would say, is probably one of the two or three most visually appealing events year after year in Texas. They really do a great job with that. And we thought that this would be an excellent, excellent segment to talk a little bit about the Houston Ballet and kind of what it takes to really put on really a spectacular event that people want to come back to year after year. So with that, Alexandra, Richard, welcome. And we are so excited to have you both on as guests today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Awesome. So, you know, the first question, you know, I want to start with Alexandra, and that is, can you tell us a little bit about the mission of the Houston Ballet? Yes. So Houston Ballet's mission, simply put, is to inspire a lasting love and appreciation for dance, which shows up in some really interesting ways. And I'll just tell a little story um, actually happened last night with a, uh, a board member who is also a former uh, volleyball chairman. And uh, we were talking about her daughter who has been enrolled in the Houston Ballet Academy for several years, has performed in the Nutcracker Ballet and is at an age where she's really having to make some tough decisions about extracurricular commitments and has ultimately decided that she's not going to be able to continue studying uh, in the academy. And of course, this board member was, you know, devastated. And um, we we talked more about it. And I asked her, you know, but does she still love the ballet? And she said, absolutely. And I said, well, then I think we've we've done our job and she will always have that lasting love and appreciation for dance. I love that as a story because it really showcases that, you know, and, and one thing with an organization, you know, when you're involved with a nonprofit is there are so many different ways to be involved. And, you know, especially for an event chair who probably is putting a lot of energy and a lot of their blood, sweat and tears, I'm sure that that can be that. So I love that you really brought to that board member's attention that, you know, you can be involved in so many ways and it doesn't have to be so deep sometimes that, you know, you, you can kind of lose the appreciation because I think all of us have done an activity once or twice in our lives where we may not do it while we're still having fun. And it's great, you know, that this chairperson's um, daughter realized that and wanted to still enjoy the ballet and enjoy that purpose. And I think that's just a wonderful story to kind of showcase the mission and how it inspires dance, which just inspires so much creativity. I think that's amazing. Absolutely. Fantastic. And, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, with this question, I'd love for both of you to answer, but I'd love for Richard to start with this one is, you know, talk about how each of you have initially gotten involved with the Houston Ballet. And Richard, I'd love to hear this story because I just associate you with this event because I know you've been involved with it for so long. So please share. Uh, it was probably back in 1986. I had, uh, at that time, owned a bunch of little flower shops called Cut Flowers, Inc., and we had a one a, a store in River Oak Shopping Center and also on Montrose, and some of the patrons that were in the ballet at the time uh, would use us from time to time because we did no arrangements, no credit, no delivery, blah, 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 and they would come in, and they talked up the ballet, and then... Uh, 
a couple of them wanted me to get involved and help them with the first nutcracker market, which we did. We helped them with, and then a little bit on the ballet ball. But the some of the students that were in the academy at the time, like one of them was Mark Arvin, who went on for to a, for a pretty good career, and a couple of the young ladies. They needed part-time job to help them make money. And the ballet at that time was located there on West Gray. So they would come in and, you know, work the flower shop and clean buckets and, and process flowers two or three hours a day. And so uh, one thing led to another and just, you know, got totally involved with the ballet and saw how these young people were growing and their passion for dance. And then, of course, the patrons and, you know, they want to... Each chairman wants to raise more money than the last one. So it just gets better and better. That's really great. So what is the secret? What has made you say, yes, I'm going to be involved with this organization for 30, for 37, I can't believe I'm saying this, 37 years. I mean, that's a long time to be involved with one organization. What makes you come back to this one time and time again? It's the people, the people at the ballet, like Alexandra, that run it. Ben Stevenson back then, uh, Stanton Welch, you know, uh, Jim Nelson, and now, and the actual ballet dancers themselves, they get so excited. Uh, they're excited every year for the ball. The ballet lets a lot of the dancers come to the ball, and I mean, they just have a they have a blast there, and it creates so much energy in the room. Absolutely. I mean, those are great things. And I we will definitely dive into some of the things you said there a little bit later on. But, you know, Alexander, I'd like to know how you initially, you know, what drew you to, you know, be a part of the Houston Ballet and its mission? And what drew you into the organization? Well, Houston Ballet is obviously a very special place to work for. I uh, joined the ballet in 2015 and going into my ninth season with the company. And it, I studied dance growing up as well and have a background in that and in the arts. And it was um, just a no brainer for me when I saw the opportunity. Um, I, I had to to go for it. It's been a real um, dream for me and, and dream come true. That's fantastic. And, you know, it I love that you were able to, you know, basically do your, you know, do what you did as a child and enjoy what you were doing as a child. And you really conveyed that as an adult and it allows you to still, you know, to still be involved, even if you're not dancing, it still allows you to pursue, you know, pursue that passion. I think that's really great that you, you've seen that you saw what a wonderful organization it was and you went for the opportunity. I think that's fantastic. It really does. And it's such an immersive place to work. We have students in the hallways, dancers and rehearsals. You can take a break and see some amazing choreography happening in real time. Um, and so it's a really special place. That's fantastic. Now, where does your passion, you know, where did that childhood passion for dance come from? Because I can tell you're passionate about the organization. Where did that start from a young age for you, the passion that you really just love and enjoy dance? Dance for, for me and for so many is a real um, creative outlet and it it is a way um, to express yourself and hone in on creativity and um, that's one thing I always loved about dance and one thing that I love about events as well is that you can really bring that creativity into the work that you're doing. That's fantastic and you know it, it's just a wonderful thing to hear that creativity and just how it can inspire people to really just kind of fulfill it in a lifelong way in different ways. I think that's really great and and Richard, you know, I would love for you, you know, you are involved with quite a few nonprofits, 
you know, not just, you know, locally within Houston, but, you know, beyond the borders of Houston. I'd love to know what compels you because you are just, you're one of the very best of the best event producers anywhere that I've ever seen. What compels you to say yes to a nonprofit when they ask for you to be a part of their event? Well, thanks for the compliment. But I think first and foremost, we look at the mission of the organization to see how it aligns with the greater community that they're in. And we look to see if we're going to be a good collaborator with them to help them because, you know, money is hard to get. Uh, the federal government and all of that, they're always slashing budgets for the arts and various things. And these organizations need money to do special projects or to keep something going. So, you know, it's just looking at, at what partnership we can do to help them raise money to uh, keep going because uh, it's it's important. I mean, Houston is very lucky in, in having so many people that are so generous that give of their, not only time, but they give of their money to support these organizations and watching them grow from, you know, back in the old days, everybody was really happy if you could raise $250,000, $300,000. And now, you know, when it's topping over a million, that does a lot to help that organization keep programs going. And that's important. It's important for our community. Absolutely. And one thing that I will say about Houston, you know, being in Austin and having the good fortune of having gone to Houston events over the years is everything you said, Richard, is absolutely true. And the one thing I would add to that is how welcoming the people of Houston are. They make anyone, so long as you're there to support, they make every single person within a space feel right at home. And that's just something very special about Houston in particular that I have always, from the very first thing I've ever gone to there, really have loved and appreciated you know, about the city and about the event, you know, um, Alexandra, I'd love, you know, for you to kind of share maybe your thoughts on, you know, kind of how Houston Ballet works to, you know, from an event perspective, you know, reach out to various segments of the community to really kind of create kind of a, you know, a, kind of a really fun environment and a really fun event. Absolutely. So we um, have such a wonderful patron base um, at the ballet. And I think that's one of the really nice things about having um, co-chairs and new event chairs every year is that they bring um, new people to to our events and um, eventually to performances as well. And so I think it's a nice way to maybe have an established board member bring in a new friend um, to co-chair with them and then, you know, continue to expand our audiences over time. You know, that's that's really important because it really is that mix of old and new. And I know one of you had stated earlier in the podcast, I believe it might have been Richard, that um, you have a mix of, you know, you have the patrons, but you also mix the dancers. And, you know, Richard, I know you've, per, you know, produced a lot of events for, you know, people like Becca Case and Thrash who is probably, in my opinion, is probably one of the, if not the greatest, you know, host in probably in the annals of Texas social <clears throat> lore. And I love that you brought it up because there has to be different types of people in order for any nonprofit fundraiser to be successful because the patrons want to see how what their money is impacting and what it's going towards and them seeing the dancers and that they're able to fulfill their dreams really compels them to give more. And it's just that mixture of energies that that really can create kind of a special night and a special event. That's correct. You're absolutely, absolutely right on. Yeah. It, it's just, and that's one thing about Houston that's so special with that welcoming. And it just that it was just when you said that, Alexander, it just it really made me 
me really think about that. And, you know, I want to talk next, you know, while we're kind of been, you know, talking about, you know, getting into talking about the event, you know, it's you all are the first duo of guests that I've had where I've had, you know, the event, the event leader of an organization and the event producer. So I'd love to know, you know, I love and I love each of you to share your thoughts and insights here. You know, what is a secret to creating a successful relationship between the event manager of a nonprofit? and the event producer of a gala or other signature fundraising event. And Alexandra, I'd love for you to start. Well, for me, uh, a, a key piece is trust. So I have had the pleasure of work, working with Richard for about 10 years, and he's the best of the best. And I know that he has our mission at heart, um, first and foremost, and that he is going to do what is in the best interest of the ballet and in a really beautiful and special way. Um, as he's passionate about it as well, um, that shines through in all that he does. And we're so fortunate to have a partnership with Richard uh, for our events. And um, it's just been really special to see all that he's done over the years and that trust continue to build between us. Um, certainly, I'm not going to tell Richard <laughs> what, what he should and shouldn't do because he knows better than me. Um, and I've really learned a lot from him as well over the years. Well, I love I, I love that. Now, actually, that's a perfect segue. And Richard, I, I know I want you to answer this question as well. But I'd also kind of like to throw in and kind of want to know, how do you as an event producer put your own stamp on something within, you know, within the bound, you know, the guidelines that an organization gives you, you know, when you are producing an event? You have to listen. You have to listen. For The main thing we do when we go into the first meeting or whatever is we're not going to throw out our ideas. We want to listen to what uh, Alexandra and the ballet want or what they're thinking of from a theme or whatever, and then what the chair's vision is and everything. And the more we listen, the more then we can build off of it and, you know, just not shoot it down. It's not our party. It's their party. And all we're supposed to do is make it better than they could ever envision in their mind and help them to raise the money and keep the excitement going through the whole process. I mean, uh, as Alexandra knows, we in the ballet, we'll, we'll start May or June of the previous, you know, of the year before in thinking about it and trying to, you know, uh, help with everything from the save the date all the way all the way through the ball to make it and a wonderful experience for everybody that comes but also a wonderful experience for the ballet for Alexandra and her team and for the chairs so they don't stress out when it gets time for the ball those are all you know those are all really those were such really succinct and perfect points richard that you that you brought up and you brought up you know a couple of things one is the chairs and two is the theme and you know i want to talk about theme first because the one thing that I have always appreciated about this event, you know, when we've gotten photos, you know, for, for you guys, when we've covered it in Society Texas over the years, there is a handful of organizations in Texas where just by looking the, at the photos, I'm able to tell a story. I, and sometimes I don't even need to necessarily even look at the copy. I can kind of tell what it's going to be about. And your organization is really excellent at theming. So Alexander, I'd love for you to kind of share, you know, what goes into the selection process for selecting a different theme each year, because each year it's a different theme and each year it's incredibly jaw dropping and, you know, just 
incredible wow factor. So I'd love to hear your insights on that. So the ballet ball theme, we have endeavored to tie back to the ballet. And so we look at what the programming will be for future years. And um, I'm so fortunate to get to hear from Stanton Welch, one of our artistic directors every year about his creative process and how he's curating um, the season from year to year. And so we try to time it um, so that if it's a ballet that's happening after the ball or a world premiere or something new um, and exciting to bring to the stage, that we do that through the ball and we help sort of introduce um, different elements of the ballet through the night, through the materials, um, through the whole experience so that they hopefully feel so moved and inclined to then attend the performance later on in the year. That's fantastic. So it's really, you're almost kind of creating like an immersive an immersive experience then for them so that it's like, okay, I came for this ball and now I absolutely have to go back and I have to, and I have to actually see this event, you know, for my own eyes to really just kind of be wild and, you know, wild and dazzled by it all. I think that's, you know, I think that's fantastic. Can you share a little bit about what the theme will be for this year, for this year's ballet? Yes. So this year, the theme is a nod to Myerling. Um, It's a ballet by Sir Kenneth McMillan. And the last time that we premiered Myerling was actually um, the season that happened right um, around Harvey. And so we uh, didn't perform the ballet at the word then we performed it at the Hobby Center for the Performing Arts. And so we are delighted to bring that ballet back to our stage. And um, it's a it, it's sort of a royal uh, Austria-Hungarian type theme. Um, you'll see some elements of blues and silvers and uh, really focusing on the the royalness of the evening. We um, also for one year sort of only are, are elevating the attire. So we're doing white tie this year, which I know is not everybody's favorite, but we hope that it really just kind of helps bring the theme to life a little bit stronger. Well, you know, I, I th- there's a couple of things here. And Richard, I've got a question for you in a second, but I, I you know, I want to highlight this with Alexandra is you're bring one, you're bringing an event home and two, Harvey was such a, you saw how that just impacted Houston. And what I love about this year with the theme is you're really tugging at people's heartstrings because anyone who's been in Houston six years or longer is really going to viscerally connect with that. And the fact that you can tell that story, I'm sure has probably been great for your donor base to hear because it's really kind of almost the, you know, for your organization, kind of a bookend of that, that, you know, Harvey's in the rearview mirror and let's go forward. So I really love how you, you know, there was patience with it that you brought it back so that it could be experienced at your home stage as opposed to elsewhere, which, you know, sometimes an act of God happens and, you know, that that's kind of what happened there. So I think that's wonderful that, you know, you've been able to tie that and something like that really does warrant something like white tie because that's really kind of a special, special thing. And, you know, white tie is one of those things, you know, for anyone not, understanding what that term is, it's basically, you know, the gentleman will wear tails. So it's one of those, you know, longer, longer in the back um, coats you know, as kind of a visual example for people as to what that is. And Richard, I would love to know how you, um, you know, with this year's theme, how does it inspire you creatively to really bring just a wow worthy experience for the folks that are attending? Well, it's just we're going to create a 
we're going to create a fabulous uh, Austrian palace ballroom in the Wortham. So, you know, Lou, you won't, when you walk into that space, uh, you're not going to, you're, you're going to realize, you're going to think that you're in a palace. It's uh, without giving away too many secrets. I mean, it's just uh, the, the, the most rewarding part of any evening for me is to stand close to the entrance and watch the patrons and the guests come in and hear their comments. You want to wow them. So from the first minute they get there, they need to be immersed and realize where they are. I mean, we can go back to Swan Lake that we did in the tent after Harvey because the Wortham, uh, the ballet couldn't have it in the Wortham. So we put a tent in the parking lot and saw Swan Lake. What did we do when the curtain opened? Half the room was white and the other half the room was black. So everybody was just like, oh, my God, what is this? And they that that's the whole thing. And so that's what we'll create in the world. That really that is creating a moment, Richard, if I've ever heard one. So that's that is just so cool that you were able to basically make lemon out of, you know, lemonade out of lemons with with that situation and really kind of create something that just hearing it, it just sounds jaw worthy. And I can kind of really visualize it because you explained it so well. And, you know, and before we kind of get into kind of what we can expect this year, I'd love for you all to kind of share how the gala chairs and how working with gala chairs is so important in creating a successful event and a successful evening. And Alexandra, I'd love for you to, you know, to start and to chime in with that from an organizational perspective. Yes. Well, we have some really fantastic um, co-chairs this year. Cabrina and Stephen Owsley are co-chairing with Margaret and Jonathan Cox. And they are just lovely. And they've been so passionate about the ballet and making sure that the night is especially, um, you know, spectacular. And we are honoring um, Akimi and Yasuiko Saito this year. Some patrons that have been involved with the ballet for a very long time were instrumental in bringing our tour to Japan this past year. And they also want to make sure that they are honored and tributed in the night. Um, you know, we've had conversations about the menu and is there something special that we can do as a nod to the Saitos that evening? And so um, it's just, it's really important for us to um, have them feel ownership of the night and feel supported by us as the staff. Certainly we're there um, to, to make their their wishes and their vision um, come true along with Richard. Fantastic. And Richard, I'd love for you to answer that, but I'd also love for you, because you have worked with so many of the top event hosts in the world, I would love for you to also maybe add, you know, what's the key secret to having a successful relationship with an event chair or an event host? It goes back to you listen to them from the first minute. You get their ideas and you expand on it. But as Alexandra said, if we can exude create confidence and listen to them and show them we we recreate the party in our warehouse for them to come see and they can you know make any changes or anything they want to do and they don't like this color flower that particular one they do it but if we can keep them excited and get them more excited then all that does is they go back and then they want to get all of their friends to buy a table buy a seat and come to the ball and that's the key the key for any chairman is to raise money. So our job is to keep them happy and keep them excited about the ball, stay within the budget that Alexandra gives us. And, you know, if we have to underwrite some stuff, we'll underwrite some stuff, especially for the ballet. 
but then the chairman walks away and she'll immediately make a phone call. Oh my God, so-and-so you have to come. You're not even going to believe what this party's going to be like. And that's, that's the whole key. I love that. And I also love that you brought up that you allow the gala chair and a select number of people to kind of experience what you're thinking. So it's almost like a, you could almost kind of call it like a interactive vision board is basically kind of what you're doing because you're immersing them in kind of all their ideas to see it. And then that way the chair can pick and choose what's great or what edit might work to make, you know, to make the evening even more magical. And that's one of the reasons why I respect you so much, Richard, is you really go above and beyond with that in a way that I don't really know anyone else who does. I just love how you create that immersive experience, but you also almost kind of do like a pregame version of it so that you can really kind of understand all the, all the ticks of it. It's not the first time you're doing it when you actually are going on event night and actually putting everything together. Right. I mean, we could give them every rendering in the world and pictures and everything else, but once they get to the warehouse and we've set up basically a mini party that they can, and it's lit and everything, that they can feel, they can touch, they can do this. I mean, you know, that's the first time we hear, oh my God, I love this. Or, you know, hey, can we change that? I don't really like that. And that's what we need to hear. Absolutely. And I can't think of a better way to work with an organization like that and taking them through that process because it really is, it's a creative journey for all of you. And it's kind of one of those things, especially with an organization like the ballet where the theme changes every year, it kind of really is a once in a lifetime experience you're kind of creating every year for, you know, for the patrons. And with that, you know, I'd love Alexander for you to maybe talk a little bit about what are some things that guests can expect to experience at this year's Houston Ballet Ball? Well, as Richard said, a lot is a secret. We don't like to share too much because you have to be there to experience it. Um, But we start the evening out. We have a world-class silent auction. Um, And I will say one thing that's really unique about our relationship with Richard is Richard has a hand in the entire evening and all of the experiences, including the auction as well. Um, And so we're really fortunate that he um, is so immersed in everything that we do. But we have an auction and then um, the group will start out with cocktails and reception and they will be seated for dinner. We typically try to keep our presentation brief. That's something that we're sort of known for. Um, We, you know, love our patrons and, and want to recognize them appropriately, but we acknowledge that it's supposed to be a fun night for community and conversation and of course the dancing. And so Um, I know we have um, spectacular entertainment in store for this year, some fun surprises, and it's it's the most crowded dance floor in the city. (laughs) Well, I love that. And it's it makes it a great party in in, in that regard that, you know, you take it, like you said, as an immersive experience and you outline, you know, this the elements of what it takes to put together a, a really good evening. And I love that you focus on, you know, one thing that really helps elevate an experience is having a brief presentation or a brief appeal that allows it to really be a party as opposed to something where, you know, some of the guests could get bored. Some of them may want to leave early. That way you're preventing people from wanting to leave. They will stay there and they'll stay all the way through the dinner and that dance floor will get crowded because you're doing that. And I think that's a wonderful element, you know, that you all bring to it that you you acknowledge and respect that. And Houston as a city always does that really, really well. And Richard, you know, I'd love for you, you know, because you have planned so many wonderful, wonderful things over the years. I would love for you to, you know, share what is a go-to item on a budget that you love that really gets a really good ROI 
and people are just wowed by, even though it may not cost, you know, a ton of money to do. There really isn't one. You just, you you know, each party's different. Each atmosphere is different. The whole thing. I mean, you're the main thing that you've got to do is in this day and age with all the lighting and AV that's out there, you got to make sure that the lighting affects the right. You know, we're creating not a rock concert or something, even though they may have a big band that wants all kinds of stuff. We're creating a theatrical experience in a party. And, uh, so that is something we have to really be careful of. And, you know, l- luckily uh, you get to get in the Wortham for the ballet the night before uh, after we've set up for a couple of days so we can play with the lighting and, and get it to where, you know, uh, everyone's going to look good. We don't want to put amber light in the room where everybody looks bad. <laughs> I, I haven't heard the word amber light. I think that's the fir- a first on this podcast hearing amber light. So never use it, folks. You know, you heard it. You heard it straight from the very best of the best in Richard. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, I, you know, we're, we're about out of time, but I did want to end with one question I'd love for each of you to ask because you both are so seasoned and such pros with events. What is one thing all successful events have in common? And I'd love for Alexandra to start. I think it's memorable. There was something in the night that you're going to take with you and remember. I love that. And Richard, what about you? Definitely memorable and fun. It's got to be fun. You want everyone to leave, whether they left early or whether they stayed to the better end, say that was the most fun party I've been to in a long time. And during the evening, uh, if you can create little surprises that happen, so all of a sudden the room changes somehow, some way, whether it was with lighting or whether, you know, all of a sudden the dinner's over and you watch Harper Waters uh, walk across the dance floor and grab Lynn Wyatt and be the first ones on the dance floor and everybody in the room goes, Oh my God, look at that. So, you know, it's just little things that happen during the evening to, to let everybody walk away and go, Oh my God, that was the best ever. (laughs) That was fantastic. And, you know, that was a perfect example of why Houston is so fun. That, that example of just having Lynn White dragged onto the dance floor and you're the first, and they're the first two out there, I think is, that's the perfect way to end this segment. So um, Alexander, Richard, thank you both so very much for joining us today. We were so excited to have you on as guests. Thanks, Rob. We enjoyed it. Thank we'll you. see you at the Ballet Ball. I would love to be there. And the 2024 Houston Ballet Ball will be on February 17th, 2024, at the Wortham Center in Houston, Texas. For more information, please visit houstonballet.org. And that will do it for this week's episode of Fun and Fundraising. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care. <laughs>